just after we got married, my wife began to work at a um, preschool in our local community. Now, those of you who are teachers who are, or who have been married to teachers or have lived with teachers or been friends with teachers, you know that there's a regular cast of characters that you hear about. And those stories, of course, made it to our dinner table almost every single night. There was Christopher. He was precocious. And I would often get, you'll never believe what Christopher did today. And she was right. I did not believe that he did all of those things. And then there was Maria. Maria was this cute little blonde-haired girl um, who ended up spending an awful lot of time at our house because her mom was one of our dear friends. And uh, she and her older sister were my practice girls. I learned how to be a dad to daughters through them. Now, what's really strange is that Maria is now married and has preschool kids of her own, and when I see them on Facebook and they look just like their mom did at that age, it's a little weird. But there's plenty of stories about um, these kids. Now, uh, my wife was reminding me of one where um, they were doing a preschool graduation, And, uh, of course, this is a bigger deal for parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles than it is for the actual kids themselves, other than the fact that they get to wear fancy clothes and they're supposed to be on their best behavior. And my wife made the comment that um, there was one little girl uh, who was a little tired that day uh, or evening or whatever time it was, and she was, you know, a little bit of a mm, handful, I think is the term that she put, uh, put on it. Um, behind the stage, and when it was their time to get out, the one thing that Miss Lisa said to all the kids is make sure you don't go close to the edge of the stage. You see where this is going, don't you? And sure enough, all the kids file out as they're supposed to, Christopher included, and Maria, and this other little girl, we can't remember her name, And she saw grandma and grandpa, and she saw mom and dad and aunts and uncles out in the crowd, and so she walked up to the edge of the stage to wave, and yes, she fell off the stage. There was a collective gasp in the crowd that sucked the air out of the room, as you can imagine. And then, after a brief pause, you heard the wah! And my wife said to me, it was really funny, she goes, it was a little bit of poetic justice. (laughs) Because he had given us kind of some problems in the back. But what was so interesting to me is that they were gen- you know, she was generally surprised that it actually happened, even though she was warned, right? Now, more recently, um, as you know, my wife works back with the little kids. <clears throat> she has a, a, a phrase that she often uses. When it's time to sit on the carpet and do their small group stuff that they do back there, um, they have to sit on their pockets. Isn't that good? sit on their pockets. Um, Now, of course, there's always some children in a kid's church who like to press the boundaries a little bit. Is Miss Lisa really serious about that pocket thing? They want to know that. Now, they don't consciously know that they want that, but we know that they actually want that, and I'm fairly certain that this is perfect evidence of original sin. Okay, because you hear the the boundaries and yet there's something innate in these kids to go, yeah, how serious are you, right? And she was telling me the story that she had uh, a couple of little boys, this was a while back, a couple of little boys, it's always little boys, I don't know why, but it always tends to be that way. 
and uh, they were not sitting on their pockets. And lo and behold, they ended up knocking noggins. Now, it wasn't serious enough where they had to get ice or anything like that, but they were both blinking like owls, surprised that they had gotten hurt, even after Miss Lisa had said, don't do that so nobody gets hurt, right? And there's shock. There's absolute shock that, oh my gosh, this actually happened, and the adult was correct. (laughs) It's really interesting to me how that happens. Kids are like that. And I think it's really funny how it seems like, as adults, we're still learning the same stuff. Would you agree with that? There are times where things happen to us, and we know that things can happen to us, and yet when they happen to us, it's like, I didn't think it was going to happen to me. Really? I had about three thoughts go through my head, and I'm like, no, no, I'm going to edit out all of those. I probably shouldn't say any of them. Anyway, we know that stuff's going to happen in this life. We, we, we know that this is going to occur. Some of the things we know will occur. Some of the things we don't know. Um, and, and we try to prep ourselves for these things. I mean, think about it. We gear up. We stress out. We fight against. We overanalyze. We underpromise, and we do all of these things to try to avoid the discomforts of real life actually occurring to us, don't we? But as followers of Jesus, we are best served when we take cues from Him, <clears throat> and Jesus understands, and sh- uh, He even showed us how to handle challenges. Now He told us they were going to happen. And then he said, here's how you're going to handle them if you're paying close attention. Now, remember, last week in John chapter 15, we heard about remaining in the vine. We have vines and we have branches. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember this? So we have this idea that we should be uh, intentional about living in him, to remain in him. And then, of course, he promised us the Holy Spirit to assist us. Okay, quick recap from last week. But then, in John chapter 16, he actually tells us why. And I don't know about you, but I like why questions. I like to understand what's going on, the reasoning behind things, and and I think Jesus does this. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to John chapter 16, or if you've got a Bible app, go ahead and plug it in. Now, um, normally, what I try to do is I try to take a particular passage and tear it apart and take a look at it. Today's going to be a little bit different <clears throat> in the sense that we're, we're going to be skipping rocks. And if you've ever skipped rocks on a lake, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you've never done this, oh boy, we need to talk. Um, but sometimes you have to skip across the surface, and this is what we're going to do at the text. I'm going to skip across the surface of the text, and I'm going to highlight certain pieces because it all ties together and we actually all want to go for lunch at some point. So if I took the entire chapter and preached verse by verse, we'd be here for a while. So let's not do that. Let's hit the highlights because I think this is important and I think Jesus has something to teach us this way too. I will, however, recommend that you go read the entire chapter yourself and try to do your own analysis based on the things that you hear. So here we go. John chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus said, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Now think about that. 
I've just had this lengthy discussion about remaining in me, and I remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I need to go away so the Holy Spirit comes. This is a very good thing. And I am telling you this so that you will not fall away. What does that say to you? That means there's going to be some big-time challenges. Would you agree? I mean, he is saying right up front. He, here's the thing. He's saying, it's coming. You need to understand this. It's coming. And, and you need to hear what I'm telling you. I'm trying to teach you something because you're going to need this later on. And he goes on. They will put you out of the synagogue. They're going to kick you out of church. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you Wow, okay, sign me up for that. Anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. That's heavy stuff, man. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. This is Jesus saying, heads up. You need to understand that I've taken the heat up until now. When I leave, it all comes out, out on you. And you've, you've got to be ready for this. You have to be prepared. He prophetically knew that his disciples would be treated horribly, largely because he had been treated horribly from time to time. And the same is true for you and me, actually. Um, when you follow God, there is resistance. Have you noticed this? There is resistance. Now, resistance is an interesting thing because resistance can come in a whole lot of different forms. And I want to address some of them because I think it's important that we have a, a broad and robust understanding of what resistance means, okay? So, um, you'll experience different kinds of resistance and let me, let me offer just a couple of possibilities. Here's one. Questions and doubts from your family and friends. You're doing what? I remember when uh, we told our families that I was going to seminary. That was fun. So how are you going to, yeah, we don't know that part yet. And you're going to live where? Well, we're still working on that. Things that I would ask my own kids, you know, I'd want them to know that, you know, ask, ask those questions too. But questions and doubts from your, from your loved ones, your fram, family and friends. That's not an uncommon, it's real subtle, but it can be a bit of a resistance. The look from acquaintances. You know what I'm talking about. They scrunch their face up, one of their eyes closed, like, what are you talking about? They don't even have to say anything, and you know what they're thinking. You wonder. And yes, sometimes you will have the resistance of the forces of darkness. Weird things will happen. You'll dream very strange dreams. I'll tell you um, something. Uh, just last night, I had one of those dreams. Woke up with a start. Oh, my gosh. Uh, had to journal about it this morning. I needed to get that one out. Woo, Lord, there's something going on here. What's that? But that's a type of resistance. Sometimes things will, will come up, and you'll... And you'll recognize that this is not from this world. This is something else entirely, and it's meant to throw you off your game. But most likely, it's your own flesh that will resist you. Sin issues bubble up 
again. Things that you thought you dealt with a long time ago. But when you begin to follow God a little more earnestly, when you're trying to be in his presence, when you're trying to hear his voice, when you're actually trying to live this stuff out, these things begin to come up again. And it's almost as if those forces of darkness are kind of poking at you going, how serious are you, huh? But sin issues will bubble up. Here's the other thing that might happen, is that your shame will begin to talk to you. You can't do this. You, you've got, you, you can't follow God. How do you know you're hearing? Because you can't hear. You know you've done this before. You've, you've failed time and time again, and there's that old recording over and over in your head, and some of you have listened to it for so long you don't even recognize that it isn't really your voice. But shame will come up. It's a form of resistance. Fears and doubts internally, stuff that goes on like, well, what if, what if, what if the whole thing collapses and, and we fail? Yes, that's true, but what if it soars? And we tend to focus on the negative, don't we? Because we're kind of taught to do that. We're supposed to analyze things and avoid that which is uncomfortable, that which might, might fail. Or The whole system is rigged in that direction. And so it's no wonder that we have those internal conversations with ourselves. Sometimes it's just fear and doubt. Sometimes it's shame. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's the forces of darkness. Sometimes it's relationships that we have. But what Jesus is laying out for us is an absolute reality check that, guys, this is going to occur. This happens. Heads up. Don't be surprised by this. It's coming. Bottom line. Now, fortunately, Jesus also offers a way to help navigate this because it's one thing to warn people, but it's something else entirely to warn them and then help them figure out how to deal with the resistance. So here we go. Here's where we're going to start skipping around just a little bit. Drop down to verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit's going to be kind of the conduit for this. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So in other words, I've been with you these, these last three years. The Holy Spirit's coming and you can trust what he says that it's my words. Hang in there. But this is the spirit of truth, right? This is what you're supposed to listen to. We receive the Holy Spirit, the advocate. But Jesus specifies the fact that it's the spirit of actual truth. And to deal with the resistance, the challenge of real life, those surprise things that we know are going to occur but are still shocked when they actually happen, to deal with those, you have to have some truth to all of this. And even if it's controversial what you're believing, you have to rest in the fact that it's true. It's a funny thing about our understanding of truth, though. It really is. Because it seems to me that we often associate truth with hard truth, meaning criticism or critique. Have you noticed this? Oh, you just, you got to tell them the truth. And we sit there and we're like, oh, the truth. Well, no, I don't want the truth because that might hurt, right? We talk about this. We, we tend to think truth kind of is harsh. Um, 
or judgmental or condemning or even confrontational. And nobody likes confrontation. And I suppose that, that can be the case, that it's, it's possible. And it's really interesting to me that especially among Christian circles, we talk about speaking truth in love, Right? Here's the interesting thing. When anybody ever quotes that, rarely are they talking about loving truth. And here's what I mean, because not all truth is negative and harsh and controversial. There's other types of truths. How about this one? God thinks about you. That's true. You are a son or daughter of the living God. That's true. He made you wonderfully. That's true. He called you and gifted you. That's true. He has ideas for your life. And he has things that he wants you to do. And he has good in mind for you. That's true. That's not harsh. It's true. And yet, when we talk about delivering the truth in love, we never talk about that stuff. But what is the truth of the word? And sometimes we need to be reminded when the challenges come is that the spirit of truth is with you. How about we start there? That you can have spiritual understanding and spiritual wisdom to handle these things because the spirit of truth is with you. And please understand, things about God and how he feels about you, that is just as true as any of the harsh realities that you may have to face. Just as true. Now, maybe you do have to deal with some, some of the hard stuff, the harsh stuff. Maybe there's stuff in your life that you really need to get rid of, and you know what it is. Most of us do. We all have that. And they may have to, we may have to actually handle that stuff. I mean, the disciples did. I mean, for crying out loud, their rabbi was leaving them. They didn't understand that at the time. This is all before the, the death and resurrection, but he's telling them, I got to go. I got other things that I have to do. This is a process. And so they're going to have to deal with that hard truth that Jesus is no longer going to be there quite the same way that they had come to rely on him. And we will too. There is stuff that we'd really like to avoid, like taxes. (laughs) Other stuff. And Jesus acknowledges all of that. He says this, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices, while everybody else does around you. You will grieve, but then he makes this promise, but your grief will turn to joy. Joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Now, of course, he's foreshadowing the cross. And we understand this, but that experience they have is the experience that each one of us has with all sorts of things that go on. When we have to deal with things like death, or we have to deal with loved ones with addiction, or we have relational issues that fall apart, all of those things are time for grieving. But what Jesus says to us is that there's also going to be a moment when the grief turns to joy. And most of the time when you're in the middle of the grief, you can't see that. None of us can. And it's really easy to go, well, it's always going to be this way. It's going to be horrible the entire time. Of course, it's a, 
it's a fallen and broken world. Nobody gets out unscathed. Yes, there's going to be grief, but there's also joy. There's also that joy that we can experience. The dark, sad story isn't the only story being told, and we need to understand that. That's only one side. That's only one perspective. There is an alternative story, and Jesus has been talking about it his entire ministry. That there's something else here. We can call it the kingdom of heaven. We can call it the kingdom of God. We can call it the fruit. Whatever it happens to be, there's an alternate story that's also being told. And no, it's not Jesus waving a magic wand. Not by a long shot. Jesus actually goes on to reveal here momentarily the fundamental truth that drives virtually everything else. And in church, we must understand this. If you are a disciple, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are part of this church, this is the truth you must understand, okay? A time is coming when I will tell you plainly about my Father, Jesus is saying. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. I am not saying that I, Jesus, will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. Period. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God, I came from the Father and entered the world, now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father, and the Father loves you, and I am evidence of that. That fundamental truth drives everything else. You want to know what's true, what the spirit of truth is trying to lead you to? It's this, right here. God loves you. This is the most basic theology of Christianity. There is no other foundational truth that you can rely on other than this. You learned it in Sunday school songs. John 3.16. And this is the good news of the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom. This is what you're seeking. God loves you. And I'm not talking about you generally. I'm talking about you personally, sitting in that chair right there. And if we had the time, I'd go and I'd say every single one of your names. And, and the point is, it's you that he loves. It's this church, yes, but it's you personally. And that love extends to every person that you meet. That's it. That's the fundamental truth. That is the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. God loves you, not theoretically, actually. God loves you, not just parts of you, all of you. Not just you plural, but you individually, specifically. If you want to handle what life throws at you, you need to listen to Jesus right here. Because there's going to be crap. It just is. But ultimately speaking, you have this fundamental truth in the background. So think of it this way. You need to deal with the truth. Holy Spirit is here to guide you in what that truth actually is. And you may have the truth that you've got to deal with some stuff, that you are carrying things that are not good for you. You may have to deal with relationships that you really would prefer to avoid. 
You can have all of those things that are are occurring, and you may have to deal with them. And by the way, this is the whole reason why Jesus was very clear that he was the vine and that his father was what? The gardener. And what does the gardener do? He prunes away the stuff that doesn't uh, produce fruit. And if it is producing fruit, he's going to prune that so it produces more fruit. The point is, is that some of that stuff you got to get rid of, God is actually trying to prune away and that's a harsh truth that sometimes we need to deal with but secondly we have to process all of this in light of God's love right because pruning doesn't make sense unless you understand that there is a love factor underneath it God's love for you is just as true as the harsh reality and if you want to handle the challenge you have to start with the fact that God loves Now, here's the thing, though. Grieve what you need to. There may be some things that are going to get cut away out of your life that you're going to grieve. It just is going to happen. But understand that if God, if if you believe, if you start from that standpoint that God loves you, there's going to be joy. Because if it's not good for you and God wants to get rid of it, think about what life is going to be on the other side of that. When we follow Jesus, we have a new and a different position in which to view how the world occurs to us. Jesus puts us there. He puts us in that new position. We can see things in light of God's love. What we face is now in light of a God who loves us and doesn't abandon us. And that in itself can change any grief that we have into a certain amount of joy. Yeah, this junk that I'm going to have to go through, there's going to be a day where I'm going to see how it all fits together. It may not be tomorrow. may not be next year. Shoot, might even not be this side of heaven. But the point is that there's going to be joy on the other side. It's what Jesus promised us. It's not automatic. At least not at first. We don't have that joy automatically, at least not at first. Sometimes we actually have to slow down to hear God's perspective on these things. A number of years ago, actually it was uh, 2001. It was in September of 2001, two weeks after the Twin Towers uh, occurred. And the company that I was working for let go of 750 employees. I was one of them. And I remember um, walking into the the job that day, and a friend of mine worked in a different department, saw me walk in the door and said, did you hear they just let the second shift go in one of the plants? I said, no, I didn't know that. He says, yeah. You know how sometimes you just get a feeling about something? pretty sure it was Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I actually had my desk cleaned out by 10 and I was let go by noon. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm supposed to be angry, but you know what? I'm not. Turns out two weeks later, I found a job making 20% more and instead of driving 45 minutes to my job, I drove five minutes. And that series of events actually set me on the path to eventually go to seminary. 
Now that's a long view. It's real easy to get caught up in the short-term stuff. <clears throat> About 10 years ago, um, Lisa and I felt like we were supposed to go plant a church in Madison, Wisconsin. And um, some of you know the story. We, were, uh, we actually moved there, and we were on the ground, I don't know, 30, 45 days, and all of our funding dried up, every last bit of it. And the economy, the way it was at the time, I could not find a job. Um, savings? <laughs> Amazing how fast that, that'll go. And I just remember looking up at, at the ceiling going, really? <laughs> like, after we moved here? But then I realized, in retrospect, that that series of events brought us here. And what brought us here is where God really wanted us to be. I wanted to be in Madison. God wanted me somewhere else. Now, do you think I would have picked Tulsa, Oklahoma on my own had circumstances not directed me in that way? Probably not, because all of our family's east of the Mississippi. But God said, nope, this is where I want you to be. Okay, that's where we are. And the grief of a failed church plant is now the joy that has thrived church. I'm just saying is that you have to have this long-term perspective and you have that position because you have Jesus reminding you that God loves you through all of this. Now, it is best to do these types of things, to have this type of perspective um, when you spend time with him so that you can actually hear him. That's why we harp on this idea of the presence of God. But in the moment when you've got the grief and it's pressing down on you because things are not working out quite the way that you wanted it to and, and however you planned it or somebody else messed it up or maybe you messed it up, if you're completely honest with yourself, you need to take that long view. If God actually loves you, if you believe that, then you can honestly say, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing now? What is it that you have in mind for me and my discipleship? Because really, I'm supposed to seek first the kingdom and the rest of it will be added. So the best way, here's the, here's the thing. You might want to write this one down. This one, oh, this is good. This is the Holy Spirit talking right now. If you want to seek first the kingdom, seek the king. Oh, that's good. Oh, that one belongs on a bumper sticker somewhere. That's right. If you're going to seek first the kingdom, you need to start with the king. And by the way, the king loves you. You. All of you. Even that stuff you don't like. He loves you. Jesus, you're so good to us. Thank you for giving us these words so long ago that still are so very true about the human condition. <laughs> you still love us, don't you? And you want us to know that. And what's more important, you want us to tell other people that. We get to be a part of that story. And God, as I, as I pray... I'm very cognizant of the fact that every person in the room has a story and they have parts of their story that they're not proud of. There's a certain amount of grief. 
there's a certain amount of stuff that they know deep in their heart that just shouldn't be there. And it keeps them from their future, and it keeps them from loving you as much as they would really like to. And, and God, I want to speak to that right now. You love them. That's the fundamental truth. Spirit of truth, I pray that you would guide every person to that reality. A deep sense of love. And that in the process, as they seek the king, they would see the kingdom become real. God, that's one of the reasons why we're here. It's not the only one. But we, we need you to pour your spirit out. We need to seek that kingdom. We need help with that. And that's what you want to do. This is, this is what you're about. This is why you're here. And, and Lord, I just pray that each person would experience that either for the first time or afresh, depending on where they're at. Help us to see the long view that when life throws us the curveball, when it deals something that we are shocked and surprised about, that we can return to that very basic idea that God loves us, and if he is pruning, there is a reason for it. Help us to deal with that truth, that reality, not just the negative side. And even as we sing, Lord, I pray that you'd be speaking to people. And I just want to let you know, I'm going to be over here um, on my right, your left, down in the corner. You want to pray? Come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. You want to wait till after service? That's cool too. I'll pray whenever you want to. I want to connect you back to the vine because you are the branch and there is fruit to be born. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Help us to make that our reality in Jesus' name. Everybody said.